It's great to be together. We want to welcome all of you who are here with us uh, this morning, as well as those who are joining us online. Anyone that's uh, attending Maranatha for the first time, we would love it if you would fill out one of the yellow sheets that there should be, hopefully, in, in the pews, or if you're, there's not one in your pew, you can grab one at the welcome desk and fill those out. We'd love to uh, get some of your contact information and be able to communicate uh, with you, and also if you have a prayer request, you can put those on there. Um, the yellow sheets can be put in the offering, um, which is there on your way out in between the doors, uh, the little box there, and you can uh, drop those prayer requests in there as well. Uh, we have uh, Ruby's Pantry this coming Saturday, so if you are uh, a part of or wanting to help out and serve the community in that way, we encourage you to make sure you have that on your calendar. Uh, we have a uh, a busy weekend uh, as we also got the men's breakfast happening here in the fellowship hall at the um, at 7 a.m. Um, that's on the on the 21st. Bring a friend, and then immediately following that, we have our spring cleanup day, which uh, will be starting around 8:30 a.m. here at the church. You can join us in general cleaning projects like washing windows, wiping down cobwebs from inside and and the exterior of the building, grounds keeping, uh, including weeding the flower beds, so please dress appropriately for the weather. You can bring gloves or any cleaning supplies that you might have, but uh, we have a lot of things that we'll be providing as well to help with that. Um, We also uh, just want to let you know about something that is um, officially launching here now at Maranatha, which is uh, we've done some camp scholarships to encourage kids to go to Bible camp in the past. We have a couple uh, memorial funds from uh, a Swan Memorial Fund and also um, another one, uh, Wetzel Nets, that have been uh, given to the church in the past, and they've been kind of revamped a little bit. And so um, on our website at maranathafree.com, there's a banner there. So if you're a family that has a little bit of financial need in getting your kids to Arrowhead, this is particularly for Arrowhead Bible Camp. We want to partner with them and help encourage kids to get to, to Bible Camp. Um, but you can fill that out. There's a, a form online there through our website. Um, we'll be sending out an email also to families for that, um, and scholarships up to $100 um, per camper can be um, requested uh, based on your needs, and uh, the deadline for that is the is May 31st for applying for that. So you get a couple weeks to get those applications in, and then that first week of June we'll be distributing those and sending checks directly to Arrowhead Bible Camp on behalf of your campers. So I would love to encourage you to, to participate in that if that will help get your kids to camp. We... we uh, as you heard a number of weeks back when uh, the pastor was sharing some of our testimonies, it was neat to hear how Bible camp played a critical role in each of our lives. Uh, we know it has for many of you as adults as well. Um, I think the last announcement is our celebration. So uh, as you all know, we like to celebrate something each week, and today's a special day where we're like, we want to celebrate and honor all the graduates, uh, especially the high school graduates, but also anyone who is graduating um, from advanced degrees as well, from from college or graduate school or anything like that as well. Um, so I'd love to say a little a special prayer over those, but we also have uh, the ladies uh, have put together cupcakes and some fun little uh, decorations and caps for some of the graduates. The, the high school graduates in particular are out there, so you can enjoy that during the fellowship hour in between services. Um, graduation time is a, is a fun time. It's a, it's a, it can be an emotional time as uh, parents um, can't believe their kids are growing up. Maybe they're celebrating that they're finally getting out of the home and, and getting your uh, house back uh, after the chaos of the teenage years, whatever it might be for you. Um, but I, I, I printed off a few copies of an article that it's uh, on the welcome desk out there. looks like this. And it says, the blessing and challenge of graduation. And so if you're a graduating student, especially a high school student, but even if you're graduating from college or beyond, 
this might be applicable to you. In this article, um, the author mentions three things. We need to own our faith, we need to own our relationships, and own our decisions that we're making. Um, so just a couple of very practical suggestions that he makes in terms of this transition stage of life, um, owning your faith, uh, owning your relationships, being intentional with those, and also um, owning your decisions and being intentional and in seeking the Lord in, in His will for your life, uh, where, whether you're graduating from high school or beyond and just seeking what God has for you. So at this time, I'd love to pray for the, the graduates. If we do have some graduates that are here, I would invite them to stand um, as I pray for them this morning. So if we have any graduates that are able to be with us this morning, Miss Miranda, wonderful, all right. And you can see the names of, of the high school graduates are all out there in the, on the, in the caps that uh, have been made. All right, and we have another graduate over here as well, wonderful. So let me pray for our graduates. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time of year that we can come alongside our graduating uh, students, whether it be from high school or college or beyond. Um, that's just a, an exciting time of life, uh, reflecting back on the things that you've done in and through their lives. I pray that uh, they would be able to reflect back and see your faithfulness to them during this past season of life, and that they would have great hope and trust in you for the future, that you would provide for them, you would open up doors of opportunity and that their hearts would be wholly committed to you, to following you, to serving you, using the gifts that you have given them. Thank you for the minds that you have blessed us with that we can apply to our education, to learning, and to growing, um, and that through that we can honor and glorify you. Uh, so I pray for all of the graduates that are affiliated with Maranatha, and those who are here today as well as those who are unable to be with us this morning. I pray the special blessing over them, that they might know uh, your love and your care for them, that you would lead and guide them, that they would know uh, the path that you have laid before them, and that they would know that we as a church family want to come alongside them if they have questions or, or needs, and, and as they transition to the next stage of life, whatever that may be for them, we pray that, that our church family would be a loving, encouraging, supportive uh, place for them. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. All right, I invite Pastor Cody to come and bring our message this morning. Good morning, everyone. Today is a, a gorgeous day outside and a gorgeous day inside. Grab your Bibles. We're in Mark chapter 3. When I was a child, I was playful in a military sense. I remember a lot of the males in my family were uh, from the Vietnam era, World War II, my grandfather's, and I had this a3 Ot3 bolt action toy rifle. I think it was awesome. I'd run around the neighborhood and I was military playful as a child. And then as a youth, I became military minded and mindful because I was anticipating joining the military like everyone in my family. And I was torn between the branches, but uh, Army was going to be my choice. Anyone that served in the Army here? You awesome, awesome, yeah. Sorry, Navy guys. Uh, okay. And then. When I got into college, I began to not just be mindful, I became to be intrigued strategically as I read theory, as I read many books upon military strategy and theory and practice. Today we're going to look at a passage that is, to me, one of the most important passages about warfare. Not physical warfare, not military as we think today, but spiritual warfare. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at this passage and then talk briefly about our enemy 
and the authority of Christ, and then answer probably one of the most popular questions raised in this passage that many have, and then we'll begin talking about the foundation of spiritual warfare and the warfare that we are involved in. And we're just going to briefly kind of give you an overview, talking about some of the weapons that we have, and then we will, throughout the passages that we go in Mark, we will then take more time talking about that. And today, we're to learn how to fight like a man. Does that sound good? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. And Lord, you are the ruler of all. The hymn we just sang was just powerful. Written so long ago, but it echoes the truth of Scripture. You are the mighty fortress. You are the great God. And Satan has the power of a grape. May we walk today being mindful of what Scripture teaches us. And Jesus, we are so grateful what you have done, what you teach in this passage. So thank you, Jesus and Spirit. Teach us, and it says in Psalms, teach our hands and fingers, train them for war. So train us today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, Mark chapter 3, we come upon this another great opposition, when this is in fact one of the major ones, the oppositions where religious leaders come against Jesus. But now they step on dangerous ground, where they begin, as we will see here, they begin to attribute His power, the Messiah's power of casting out a demon, his power over the demonic realm, and they attribute it to Satan. And this gives Jesus a great opportunity to give one of the main teachings, I believe, of spiritual warfare and his authority over Satan. So this passage is great. This is, in fact, as you look at the Gospel, again, there's four Gospels. The first three are very similar. They're the Synoptic Gospels. Matthew spends more time on this section here. So normally when I think about this passage, I go to Matthew, but we're in Mark here. So Mark chapter 3, look at verse 22. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. He's driving out demons. So right before this, we saw the passage last week where he's gathered, there's many there, his family's there, his family's trying to get to him, and even his family said he's out of his mind, he's crazy doing this stuff, and they want to grab him and get him back home to be normal. And Mark, what he does is he begins a story, we'll see this often, then he checks another story that's also happening, and then finishes the other story. So we're in this middle section here of the sandwich. The Pharisees are filled with hatred towards Jesus. And they attribute the power of Jesus to satanic influence. Beelzebub. And this is the name it says here, given to the prince of demons. Beelzebub, who is Satan, who is the devil. They're very strong in this. And that's dangerous ground they're walking on. At first, though, their logic is spot on. Because a lot of times you want to look at this and go, oh, the, the Pharisees are so wrong. But their logic is spot on. Because they cannot deny that Jesus is healing the sick, casting out demons, doing miraculous things. So they're like, all right, this is real. 
But the problem is, for them, they cannot admit that what is happening is God's work. So they know that something's real. They're trying to figure out what's going on. But they don't want to say this is God's work. This is the Messiah. So they attribute it to Satan. There's only one option in their mind. And it's from Satan. This is like black magic going on here. This can't be God. This can't be this Nazareth guy walking around doing this. So this must be black magic or something. And as we will see in making this claim, they are going to be soon beyond any help. Look at verse 23. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. Now Jesus uses this metaphor, this illustration of a kingdom and a household. And if any of those are divided against itself, if a kingdom internally is divided against itself, it's going to crumble. Or if a house is having problem internally, destruction is certain. And at the time of Rome, Rome was very powerful, they had this attitude like, no one can defeat us. We know how to fight like a man. We are strong, our military strong, but what they were afraid of was not armies against them, because they were invincible in their minds. They were terrified of internal strife, a civil war which threatened their survival. So internal. And Jesus exposes the foolishness of the Pharisees. If Satan's casting out himself, the demons who are under his control, if if he's casting out himself, this doesn't make sense. Then his kingdom would be characterized by internal discord. And division would happen and self-destruction. And the dominion of Satan would be no different than any other kingdom with internal strife. Any other household, it would be torn apart. And it would not survive this kind of internal strife. So Jesus says, look, this doesn't make sense. Look at verse 27. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Now we get to what I think is one of the most important military strategic understandings that Jesus gives concerning spiritual warfare. We need to sometimes think military-wise in this. He makes this important statement concerning his ministry dealing with demons, exorcism, and the devil. So this statement here is very, very important. He continues with a metaphor and pictures Satan's kingdom as a household or a castle controlled by a powerful individual. So at the entrance of this household is someone very, very strong. Or the kingdom is this very, very strong wall. Big, strong guards ready to protect it. The strong man. To get into the house, one must calculate. One must think through how the owner or the strong man 
how the owner's strength can be taken down or outwitted. And how can we plunder their possessions? How do you do this? So Jesus says, here's what needs to be done. Clearly, and this is important, never forget this. Jesus is stronger than the devil. Amen? Don't picture as we would, let's say Spielberg got together with some, some people and said, let's do, a, let's do a movie about Jesus versus Satan. You know, they would maybe do this kind of cosmic battle, this arm wrestling against Jesus and Satan. It's not that way at all. God is so much more superior than any strong man on the planet. God is the giant. Satan is the great squish, okay? Clearly, Jesus is stronger than Satan. And Jesus can enter Satan's cosmic dwelling, his household, whenever he wants. He can bind the devil whenever he wants and take possession by casting out demons and liberating people. Isn't that wonderful? So always remember, there's a strong man, but God's power is far greater than Satan. Every time he casts out a demon, it demonstrates the binding of Satan. So the binding is already taking place in Jesus' ministry. It is accomplished at the cross event, and I call the cross event both the death of Jesus and the resurrection, and finalized at the end of history. Read Revelation 19 and 20 and then 21. And we will talk more about this at the end of our time today. Let's continue with the passage. Truly I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins, and every slander they utter. So now Jesus strategically takes the offensive. He hears what they say. He kind of shows their follies. Like, you guys are idiots. You know, the, what are you saying? I, I can't be a part of Satan if I'm casting out demons. Now he takes the offensive and makes a clear charge against the Pharisees based upon their accusation, accusation. Truly, all sins can be forgiven blasphemy it can be forgiven and this we know is based upon the old testament understanding and the new testament of god's great mercy you are not beyond god's mercy he his love is great remember this line i say all the time god is just comma we all deserve punishment god is just comma but he's more than just he's grace and mercy He has forgiveness for generation after generation. In fact, blasphemy here, there's a word here, it's a slander. Blasphemy means to slander, to bring insults, especially in speech. And in the New Testament, it shows up three or four times. So when we hear this, this is very important. You need to know this verse, okay? Because most people get caught up in the next verse coming up here. You need to know this. In the darkness of our souls, the sin that you sometimes kind of go, oh, woe is me, which is good to have that guilt which would prompt you to ask for forgiveness. In the darkness of the souls, we need to know that Jesus says, 
all sins, every sin, every blasphemy, even the shaking of your fist to God, blaming God, that can be forgiven. We all sin at times. And when we do that, we sin against His holiness, His majesty, which detracts from His holiness. But God is a God who forgives. So know this. Look at this verse again. God forgives. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven. All their sins and every slander they utter. Forgiveness is available. Now the next verse, verse 29. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. This is what is called the impartable sin. Has anybody ever heard of this before? Yeah, we've heard of this. This is the sin, like, whoa, the impartable sin. So how is this different than other sins? So what's a really bad sin? Think about it. What's a bad sin? Adultery is a bad sin. Being a Bears fan is a bad sin. Okay, no, no, okay. Adultery. Murder is a bad, bad thing, right? Or denying Christ under pressure. To slander God or slander Jesus, that's pretty bad. Remember the verse before this. Forgiveness is available. Forgiveness can be found for those who repent and believe in Jesus. Again, we see that in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. That's the message of the Gospel of the Kingdom. Repent and believe. Turn away from your sins. Turn to Christ. We know this because who denied Jesus? Peter. He was forgiven. Who committed murder? Paul. He killed Christians. He was forgiven. The impartable sin is not an accidental sin. So how is this different? The impartable sin isn't an accidental sin, an impulse, a quick slip of the tongue. For in those situations, repentance is available. Here is a summary of the understanding of this. In that dictionary I say, get the, this dictionary mounts the expository dictionary of Old Testament, New Testament word, talking about blasphemy of the Spirit. It is the willful, continuous, and intentional rejection of the gift of salvation is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit and is the only sin that cannot be forgiven. So this sin that Jesus is talking about, and we see this in this passage here, is the decisive rejection of the Spirit's truth revealed about Jesus, the Messiah. And that's what the Pharisees are doing. God the Messiah is right there. The Spirit is working in miraculous ways. Healing, casting out demons, and their hearts are so hard rejected it so much that they continue to rebel against God and the Spirit. They claim the work of the Spirit of Jesus and they attribute it to Satan. Thus they blaspheme the work of God by way of the Holy Spirit. They're rejecting God completely. And the Pharisees will continue to reject Jesus. And many are on the brink of committing this sin. This isn't saying that they've all committed, boo-hoo to you, that Jesus kicked him out. He's going, guess what? 
There is a sin that will not be forgiving if you continue to reject what Jesus is doing, and many are on the brink of doing that. Many are on the brink of committing the unpardonable sin, and many will soon be beyond repentance. So again, there are sins. How many in this room have ever sinned? All right, yeah, okay, I'm raising both hands and a leg, right? Sins can be forgiven. Remember that verse right above this. But there is one sin that will not be forgiven. The rejection. The continuous rejection. Look at verse 30. He said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. So now to answer the popular question. How do I know if I've committed this sin? Has anybody ever thought that? I've thought that. I've sinned. But once in a while, I think, well, maybe I've committed the unforgivable, the unpardonable sin. I'm in trouble. How do I know? A few thoughts on that. This is a sin that only unbelievers can commit. Those who have committed the unpardonable sin are like the Pharisees who who are so hardened in their unbelief towards the work of God. This sin is of those who willfully, continuously, and intentionally reject Jesus as the Messiah. They have no guilt. They have no conviction. Hearts are hard. And they continue to reject Jesus. And they never worry about their sin. Thus, if you are worried that you've committed the unpardonable sin, Your concern and worry is a trustworthy sign that you've not committed it. Because those who commit this sin, they don't don't care. Their hearts are so hard. But if you have conviction, worry, and guilt, that shows you haven't committed it. If you are convicted and ashamed of your sin against God, then you've not committed the unpardonable sin. Quickly do this. Romans chapter 8. Go there. It's probably fallen out of your Bible because you keep reading it all the time. Listen to the first verse. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Maybe some of you realize the importance of memorizing this chapter. Because we all sin. Hopefully as we grow closer to Christ to be more and more like Him, we sin less and less but once in a while we have that guilt, that shame. And sometimes we think, oh, if I committed this sin, God, why would you forgive me? I keep failing in this area. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is beautiful. Back to our passage here. The authority and teaching of Jesus is so clear in these few verses of Mark. And we see here that Satan is already defeated and bound by Jesus. Amen? I'm going to clap about that. Amen? He is bound, defeated. This is an awesome passage. And we're going to get back to some of the principles in this as we go through Mark, as we talk about exorcism, as we talk about demons, as we talk about the realm of Satan, which will show up in the book of Mark again. But let me now move to some basic understandings of spiritual warfare to help us think 
military-minded, if you could call it that, but more spiritual warfare-minded. So we're ready for the upcoming stories as we go through the book of Mark concerning exorcism and spiritual warfare. So we're going to talk about the fundamentals and the foundation of spiritual war and its weapons. Because I like weapons. Two key things. I'm going to talk about the enemy and us. The enemy. The Bible states that Satan is our enemy. He's real. Do you know that there's a church in town who doesn't believe that Satan's real? They just think it's, you know, just worldly influences and and just, you know, injustice, and that, that's what that means. No, Satan is real. He's our adversary. He's ruling. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's deceiving, roaring like a lion, and fighting against God's values and His kingdom and against His children. Satan is not a little man in a red suit with a pointy tail. He is real is powerful and demons are still around the enemy is very dangerous and has power and evil plans but he's on a leash amen his power is limited power not this crazy power we think he's on a leash satan has been bound i'm gonna clap again that just woo. He's been bound. His house has been plundered. And Christ took His possessions as example of casting out demons. Satan's primary tactic, let me throw this in here quick, is deception concerning our beliefs and understanding about God His goal is to deceive us about our perception and understanding about God and His character and deceives us about our relationship with God in Christ. As Christians, we need a correct view of God and a correct view of ourselves. So let me talk about us. Your power. Now, when I said, today we're going to talk about let's fight like a man, like some of you laughed, like, yeah, let's do this. Very important here. Your power over the enemy is your position in Christ. And your power is Christ. In spiritual warfare, it has nothing to do about your power. You, yourself. This all has to do about God's power and my position in Christ and Christ in me working through me by His Spirit. The greatness of the Christian's power is the measure of his surrender to Jesus. Surrender to Christ. We must know that he has won the victory over the enemy. And this leads to the greatest spiritual weapon. I encourage you, get no. I should have, I thought about this last night and I forgot to do this. I'm going to put pieces of paper in all the pews so you can write these down. These notes are going to be online for you this afternoon, but write these down now. The greatest weapon of spiritual warfare, guess what it is? It's the cross. When it comes to weapons, the cross event is the greatest weapon in spiritual warfare. Through the cross and the resurrection, Jesus has once for all 
conquered Satan. Amen? That's, that's an aspect of Easter. One of these Easter, we're going to just focus on that as the, the celebration of Easter. The kingdom of God has arrived. And the citizens, we who belong, His children of the kingdom, we have authority over Satan because of the cross. And every believer can bind Satan and demons because of the beauty of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here it is, Colossians chapter 2, 14 and 15, talking about our sin and that which was against us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. He is victorious. He is the mighty warrior. He is the one who's won the battle. The cross. The basic foundation of spiritual warfare is that Satan has already been defeated at the cross and the victory of the saints is guaranteed. We are going to win no matter what. That's why that, singing that hymn, I just thought about just the beauty of what we just sang. The basis for all spiritual victory is always the cross rather than my own strength. Evil is conquered not by my superior power, but by the blood of the Lamb. He has won. Listen to Revelation chapter 12-11. And they overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb. So I wrote this down. The slain lamb becomes the conquering ram whose blood purchased people for God and brings them freedom over the enemy. The greatest victory we have is because of the beauty of the cross. His blood shed for me. Other biblical weapons. I'm going to cruise through this quickly here. Listen to this out of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. Because some of us, and I think this too, because I, I, I just finished a book on the Taliban, I, I finished many, and I love just military theory stuff. I just, my mind thinks of the physical ways of, of protection and defending stealth. But this here says, the weapons we fight with are not weapons of this world. On the contrary, we have divine power, we, to demolish strongholds. We have spiritual weapons available to us. Let me just give you a few of them. Mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Another powerful weapon is the name of Jesus. We are saved by God's name. Listen to Psalm 54, verse 1. Save me, O God, by Your name. I love that. Go to your Bible and underline that. Memorize that one. Psalm 54, verse 1. Save me, O God, by Your name. The authority and the power that Jesus possesses now has been transferred to us, His followers. Luke chapter 10, verse 17 says this. He sent out 72, says this. The 72 returned with joy 
and said, because they went out. There was exorcism happening. There was demons around. And you think after someone dealt with a demon, they come back going, oh, that was scary. Whoa. No, 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 no. They came back with joy. And listen to what it says. Lord, even the demons submit to us in Your name. We see in the New Testament, Paul, Peter, and John write extensively about the power of the name of Christ. We see this in the book of Acts. It's the power of Jesus in His name. No one can cast out a demon without the name of Jesus. We'll understand that more as we look at that later. So the name of Jesus, a powerful weapon. The next one, one of my favorites. Go to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God is a weapon. Ephesians chapter 6, the armor we're to put on. All this is protective armor, but there's one that's a weapon. Well, the others are weapons too. It's the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. I like weapons. This is just really, it's a non-functional sword. It's not sharp. It's just cool to have in my bedroom. My wife is safe, don't worry, but if someone comes to my house, I'll probably scare them with this, like, what a weirdo. But the Word of God is a mighty, mighty weapon. That's why our church is all about getting you in the Word of God. Pastor Tony is finding fun ways and creative ways to get the students reading the Word of God. It's the weapon we have. Stand firm by receiving and using the Gospel message of the Word of God. God's mighty weapon. In fact, in the Old Testament, God's weapon, there's a couple weapons He has, but the primary one is His Word. The next one. Worship. Worship is a weapon. Praise is an underrated weapon. And sometimes forgotten weapon. Worship is a weapon. It's one of the greatest weapons in the Christian life. Many things happen when we worship. How many of you were here for our, um, what do we call it, worship at full volume, our night of worship? It was awesome. Worship is a weapon. When the thick clouds of evil begin to gather around us, when the deception of Satan comes to twist our understanding of who God is, who we are in Christ, and blurs our views in those areas, praise and worship with song help us and remind us of the bright hope found in Christ and clears the clouds of doubt and deception and despair. And in the Old Testament, we could take a half hour just looking at all the Old Testaments where worship was a weapon. They wanted to get all their weapons right in their And oh, God says, put those down, use worship. Why would we use worship? Mighty things happen when people praise God. And worship isn't just about music, worship is the condition of the heart. It's placing God above everything else. Worship is a mighty weapon. The next one, our testimony. Again, Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, talking about Satan, the deceiver, the accuser of the brethren, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, 
The enemy may come against you with lies and deception. But it's our testimony of the beauty of Jesus that is a mighty weapon. He's going to come against you and try to deceive you. Forget all the good things God has done. Parents and grandparents, remind your kids of God's goodness. Let that be in a mighty weapon of testimony because the world's going to deceive them. The enemy, Satan's going to deceive them. Just go, no, look at God and His goodness in our families. Look what God has done for us. We have the power to stand and proclaim in faith that God has saved us and will save those who turn to Him. Our testimony is a powerful weapon. The Holy Spirit. Let me just give you two verses here. Again, we're going to use many of these examples as we get into Mark. I'm just giving you these now so we can get a basic understanding so we can see these in the upcoming chapter. The Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We will have power. We have this power. The Holy Spirit... And we will be His witnesses. There's that testimony part. For Romans chapter 8, verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through words and groans. The Spirit is a mighty power and weapon. We'll talk later about Second to last one is this one. Obedience. Obedience. Let, let me read this, this, this section here. It's just such a powerful... 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 and 5. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world, but on contrary. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. Verse 5. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought, make it obedient to Christ. Major passage on spiritual warfare. Obedience is a major weapon. Making our thoughts obedient to His will. Now lastly, the last weapon. Prayer. Prayer. I want to help groom us, shape us as we begin to get into chapter 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. What is the power of prayer over the enemy? So you, said, you heard me say, let's fight like a man. Well, let me show you a picture that helps shape my understanding of this from a band called Petra. I don't know, Stacey, if you have that one. It's a band from, anybody hear of the band from the Petra? Here's their line before it. Get on your knees and fight like a man. Oh, this is not about what I can do. This is not about my power. It's about the power of prayer. Getting on our knees Fighting like a woman, fighting like a man, surrendering to Jesus. I, just that picture I remember, I got the album and I just taped it to my wall. The album was called This Means War. 
I know, Nate, you have it. You love it. But that image etched into my memory. Let's get on our knees and fight like warriors of Christ, right? Because we think fighting is getting up, standing up, being strong, defending. Well, the right way to do that for the Christian is submission, prayer, making war in the heavenlies by folding our hands, surrendering. That is a great image. Here's some of the words of that song. Get on your knees and fight like a man. You'll pull on strongholds if you just believe you can. The enemy will tuck his tail and flee. Get on your knees and fight like a man. The spiritual armor that we studied in Ephesians chapter 6. In fact, I should have gave you a link to what date it is on our webpage so you can find. We spent much time talking about the nature of spiritual warfare, the weapons of spiritual warfare, and the, the virtues of that. Prayer is essential. Prayer puts on those Christian virtues and weapons. And our spiritual armor of God is provided for us through Jesus Christ. He is the one who is able to make us stand against the enemy. So in closing, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take communion. So worship team, you can come up. We have many weapons of our warfare. The Word of God, the name of Jesus. Prayer, worship, obedience. The beauty of the cross. That's, to me, the greatest weapon. Because it sealed the deal. The enemy is... But today we want to remember and submit to that. We here at Maranatha have open communion. Which means, if you belong to Christ, if, if you're a believer in Christ, take communion with us. If you've surrendered your life to Him... Take communion with us. It doesn't mean you're perfect yet. The perfect will come. 1 Corinthians 13. Join with us. And we have, sorry Stacey, I don't know if you have a little map up there of how we can kind of just come in family groups, come down, grab your stuff, and then we will take it together. But as we take it, I want you to remember the beauty of Christ. This is how we stand firm. And we're going to have a song being sung by the worship team. So sing it if you want. Hum it if you want. And then we'll take this together. Let me pray before we begin taking our communion. Father, I thank You that Your majesty, Your greatness is above all worldly powers and spiritual powers that oppose You. Demons are subject to Your name. And we as Christians humbly submit to You and we thank You for the beauty of the cross and the power of the Spirit that dwells within us. Forgive us for being arrogant, thinking, oh, we can do this. Help us in humility. Help us be humble. And it's about getting on our knees and fighting like a man. We celebrate you, Jesus.
Amen. So come on up, get this. We do also have a gluten-free option available somewhere. I don't know where it is, but we'll, I'll, I'll get it up here, Aaron, if you could help me with that. Awesome, thank you. Oh 
out of Revelation chapter 5. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne. Then a new song was sung. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. You died for us. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and a priest to serve God and they will reign on earth. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power, wealth, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, and praise. Jesus, we thank You today that Your life was given so we could live. And we thank You that You have called us to be in Your kingdom, a kingdom of priests who are to go about and proclaim the goodness of Your name to praise You. And I thank You that You've given us the authority over the enemy. For those of us who struggle because of sin, may we remember all sins can be forgiven. So may we turn to You with repentance and forgiveness. And I pray for those who might be on the edge with their hard hearts rejecting You always. Spirit, do Your work to soften them so they may come to You. And this I proclaim in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand as we sing our last few songs.
Saturday to help us do a lot of raking or even washing windows. There's a lot of little projects we'd like to get done around this area. We also have Ruby's Pantry. It's Communion Sunday. On Communion Sunday, we have a basket in the back for benevolence fund that we use often to help those in need in our church. Let me send you off with now Revelation chapter 7. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. And the angels were standing around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen. Praise and glory, wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to God forever and ever. Amen. I want to encourage you also before you leave, if you want prayer, we would love to pray for you. Because there is a spiritual war going on in fact, Dan and I this week met with a gentleman and I was like, is this spiritual warfare? Is this physical? Is this drugs? What's going on? Offered some prayer. If you want prayer today, we would love to pray for you. In fact, Dan Marshall will be able to be up here pray for you. I'll sit up here and pray. If you just want someone to pray for you, we would love to help you see the beauty of what Christ has for you in freedom. God bless you. Thanks for worshiping with us. Have a great day.